Welcome. You are listening to Copland. Copland is about the life and times of our protectors and defenders, police, fire, EMS, medical trauma units, and the military. The underappreciated doing the unthinkable for the often ungrateful. I am Jay Dobbins, and I'll be your host. In each season, we will hear three episodes featuring extraordinary heroes, amazing personal experiences that will inspire and uplift you. Sometimes they might shock you. The highs and lows, the successes and the failures, told in their own words and all experienced during their personal journey of sacrifice to make the world a safer place. This is Copland. Kevin Briggs was a California Highway Patrolman for 24 years. His jurisdiction, the Golden Gate Bridge. A glorious and glamorous assignment protecting one of the world's most iconic landmarks until you learn that he negotiated with hundreds of suicidal jumpers during that time. Kevin's path to patrolling and protecting the Golden Gate started in the military, then a stint in corrections, and ultimately landed him on California's highways. You know, I was in the military right out of high school. I was not ready to go to college. 18 years old, graduated in June. And in August, there I am going through basic training for the infantry and then jump school. Um, and I think that kind of set me up for things. Unfortunately, I, I had a, some trauma in, two, let's see, 1983 when I was in the military. Um, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer while I was in Germany in the infantry. So my last year was pretty much spent in, the, in about the hospital. And they flew me back to San Francisco to let them another medical center where I, I had several operations and went all through the chemo and stuff. And then I stayed with my parents in Marin County until I, I was better and regained strength and everything. My father had a printing shop in San Francisco, so I worked there for a while. Found out printing was not for me. Did not want to be a printer. Did not want to be the manager of it. I was thinking, what could I do? You know, and and I had a brother-in-law who was SFPD, and he kept saying, "Hey, man, you'd be right for this." We talked for quite a while, and I said, "You know what? That sounds really cool." So I put in an application for San Francisco Police Department, but also for State Corrections, and Corrections picked me up pretty quick. So I went through their academy, and I thought, "This is cool. This is something I'm interested in, and I want to do good." Started out at Soledad Prison and uh, by Salinas. And then wanted to get back home, waited a year, did my probation, and worked at San Quentin for a couple of years. And when I was working there, it was a good job, paid well. Uh, one of the guys I was working with said, hey, I'm going go to go out for the highway patrol. And I was thinking, uh, he goes, come on, man, do this with me. Do it with me. I went, and I don't know, those guys look squared away. You know, I don't know if I can make it. But it would have been really cool. You see him on the road. Got to talk to him a couple of times with the folks. So I said, all right, I'll try it. Took me a year and a half just to go through, to get into the process of training. And made it made it through the training, graduated fourth in my class. Uh, unfortunately, my friend who was with me at San Quentin, he didn't make it. But I was lucky and I'm humbled and blessed I made it. So started working in, in the highway patrol over in Hayward, California, by Oakland, just south of Oakland. It was really, really cool. Something, wow, I can get into this. I wanted to specialize. I, I didn't want just great police department because I, I looked through all the vehicle codes and the penal codes. 
probably 94, 95. Um, nobody wanted to work on the bridge so much. They didn't like it down there. When it's, it's cold on the Golden Gate Bridge a lot. Um, but they also had the suicides, which I didn't really know about. And I lived in Marin, and Marin connects to San Francisco via that Golden Gate Bridge. So I crossed that bridge hundreds, if not thousands of times. But I had no idea what goes on there as far as suicides. So that's where it kind of started. Kevin received on-the-job mentorship on how to best patrol the bridge. You know, I had a few people that, that okay, these, these folks are the right folks. There's some people out there who you can tell when people really just don't give a damn about other people that are there for the job or they're there to go off the job and get hurt, so they claim. But there was a lot of good people that I worked with, and I found folks that, that since I wanted to work on the bridge and do a good job, I wanted to find out more about that. So I found folks who worked on the bridge, were sergeants um, for the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District, but also some very senior people in the Highway Patrol. And after they got to know me a little bit, took me under their wing and showed me a lot of different things, uh, not only operational of how the Highway Patrol worked, but, but also how could I start working on a bridge and make a difference. Because I had no training when it came to talking to folks who were contemplating suicide. I had no training in this. I didn't know what to say, what not to say. Uh, my first experience a couple of work were terrible. They went well overall, but just in me trying to negotiate with them, I didn't know what I was doing, what to say, what not to say, where to stand, how to talk to these folks, how to even look at them. So by doing some research and having some great mentors, I think it helped me to help other folks. The Golden Gate Bridge holds a mystique. For some who are distraught, a solution. Some people think it's like a gateway to another realm that travels in between those two towers. And then that fall of 220 feet, you leave all your worries behind. And then that water is, cleanses you when you hit it. Um, but there's a guy that I spoke with on July 22nd of 2013 before I retired. A brilliant young guy, just 32 years old. He did lose his life that day, but we spoke for about an hour. And he was very coherent, not under the influence of anything, just a, a joy to speak with. And I asked him, I said, Jason, well, why'd you come to this bridge? This guy's from New Jersey. He flew all the way out from New Jersey just to go onto this bridge. So when I asked him, Jason, why this bridge, brother? He said, it'll get the job done. And unfortunately, it did. But, you know, there's, there's not a lot of rhyme and reason to this that's, that's gold, so to speak. People have all sorts of different reasons for doing it, but generally, uh, it will get the job done. Very few people survive this, and they think it's, it's an easy way to go uh, when it's not. And anybody who's worked around bridges and sees these types of things knows that when a body hits the water, they break a lot of bones, those bones go in and they crush your organs and if they do live a lot of times then they drown it's nasty it's miserable and for everybody else who has to deal with it you know it starts with us and i've heard things like well you know it's the ripple effect when one when a suicide happens it starts with whoever sees that person then expands out right i think that's wrong i get it in theory but man it's a tsunami anybody that's been around this is just knocks the hell out of you and then of course the family it starts with us and the family and it just goes out from that so it's a very brutal experience for all involved
Kevin has become known as the Guardian of the Golden Gate. It is a flattering title, but one that carries with it a heavy burden. I don't like it, even though that's the name of my book. I didn't have a say about it. Of course, publishers have the last say. Um, Guardian of the Golden Gate, that came about from a Yahoo News segment that actually started this whole thing of me retiring and doing the TED Talk and going out and doing presentations. But it was a six-minute video um, from these folks from Yahoo. They came out to do an interview, and I... I was a sergeant at the time, back in 2012, and I was going to just pottle off to the officers. Here, go talk to these folks. They'll take you down to the bridge. But they specifically wanted to do me. And I thought it'd be a 15-minute thing in our back lot. That would be over six hours, putting GoPros on my motorcycle, going up and down the bridge and all over. Uh, but that came out in, I believe, December of 2012 when it aired. And it was just, I believe, six minutes long. And... I take December's off most of the time. I love the Christmas time. When I came back, I had all these calls waiting for me and letters and all these things. Apparently, this thing had, had gone so what they call viral, which I'm not doing it with that being 57 years old. But this thing had gone viral, and I was getting requests to talk and lots of letters and all sorts of things. So that's where this guardian on the Golden Gate thing came to be. Um, yes, it's very humbling. But to be honest with you, I really don't like it. I think there's guardians of Golden Gates all over the world. Sir, you are one yourself. Anybody that helps people out is is a guardian of that area, of that era, and that area. So, you know, I'll take it if it helps people, um, if we can get the word out more. It's humbling, but there's, you know, there's a lot of, well, there's people that do the same work that I do up on that bridge. I just happen to get the press for it. The volume of interactions with suicidal jumpers that Kevin has faced is overwhelming. So in the Highway Patrol, unlike what you see in, in chips with Ponch and John, we write, and probably like most police departments, we write. I, when I came over from corrections, I never knew there was so much writing to be done. All we do is keep statistics on just everything. So for a span of about 10 years, I handled um, four to six cases a month four to six cases a month for a long, long time. So that turns out to be a lot of people. Now, not every one of those was over the rail. A lot of, some of these were on the sidewalk. Some of these were in the parking lots or even in other places. We had one in our even in our own parking lot of the Highway Patrol office. So that runs the gamut of a, of a lot of different people. And just to show you maybe numbers of what is going on in that bridge, in 2018, there were... 31 confirmed suicides off of that bridge and 187 interventions. I don't have the numbers yet for 2019, but that's 2018. And I want to tell you straight out that 31 suicides is wrong because when we lose bodies, when they jump and they hit that water and either sink or they're washed out to sea, they're not counted. The coroner has to have a body in front of them before they count it. 
in 9-11, when that occurred, we added more staff down there, and the, and the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District added security officers. So my work diminished quite a bit because there were other officers to, to handle some of this. But there is still quite a number of, of suicides and interventions going on as we speak on that Golden Gate Bridge. Kevin's expertise was refined through his experiences. Like I said before, you know, very little of any training that I remember from the academy of how to handle a situation like this, so I didn't know what I was doing. Um, my training came from talking to those who I had helped. I don't say I saved anybody. I didn't rush into a burning building. I think I helped folks on a very, very dark day. So anytime I would talk to someone, wherever it was, let's just say they're over the rail, there's like an ivy on the other side of that. And they would come back before we even left. I would congratulate them, thank them for coming over. And and I would ask them, what did I do that was cool? That What did I do that helped the situation? And what did I do that wasn't? What you thought, wow, you know, this guy sucks or, or this wasn't doing well. So I learned a lot from every single person. I would take notes and write these things down because I wanted to become better at this craft. I wanted to. When you look at these folks and look in their eyes uh, when they're over that rail, it's, a, it's such a cry for help. They want to live. I believe in my, in my heart and in my soul that they do, but they just can't get past everything that's put them in that position. So if we can be there for them and try to provide them some little bit of hope. But uh, I did get some training, crisis intervention training, earlier in my career after a while of working on the bridge and it wasn't until way later in my career almost a retirement before I went through uh, the FBI crisis negotiator school which was simply wonderful learned a hell of a lot of things I had been doing that, that I didn't know there were names for them uh, and I get the opportunity now to speak with the FBI probably at least once a year sometimes twice a year so it's a lot of fun I go there and negotiate a conference After all of Kevin's successful interventions, it's the ones that were not that burn on him. One individual, he was African-American. Uh, I got the call of him over the rail, and I responded along with two other officers who have about the same amount of time as I do on. And typically what I like to do is just approach and talk to these people by myself. And I preface this with, if I cannot make a connection, if I cannot start developing rapport, this is important for negotiators or anybody talking to someone, I take a step back and find somebody who can. This is not the Kevin Briggs show. It's not about me. If I can't develop rapport for some reason, they don't want to talk to me. I'll find somebody that can. But what we did this day with this young man was there was three of us, and we kind of all stood together looking at this gentleman. We would take turns talking to him. And... And I regret that to this day, and it bothers me. But um, we spoke with him for maybe 40 minutes, and he would not give us his name, but he was very polite. We'd look down at the water a lot, and that's always a bad sign. And we tried to talk about different subjects, and you know, tried, I try to personalize everything. So I'm just Kevin, not Kevin Briggs with the California Highway Patrol. Um, when I walk up, I just introduce myself as Kevin, and I think that starts things off on a positive note. 
he would smile and shoot my hand. And when I tell negotiators this, they think, what the hell, you touched the guy? And yes, he actually turned around and he did this three times. And what I like to do is I don't like to grab people and pull them back over. For one, I don't know, maybe they're strong or way more than they can pull me over. But two, I think it takes so much courage to go over that rail. I think it takes even more courage to come back and face all the troubles, issues, problems, whatever you want to call it, that put them over that rail to begin with. So I don't grab people, and it's, it's just me personally, what I do. We've done a lot of sidewalk, and people have been starting to go over, but uh, I think it starts it off on a good note if we can get that to come back over on their own. So that's what I was working, really working with with this guy. And he started to break down a bit and tear up. And I thought, okay, we're making some headway. But we all, all three of us would talk to him, not at the same time, of course. But after about 40 minutes, he turned around and he looked me right in the eye. And he was leaning out over the water, only holding on with one hand. He reached over and shook my hand with the other one. He said, Kevin, thank you very much, but I have to go. Uh, and he left. And then he's, and he's gone. And it just broke my heart. I was tearing up at the scene. Um, it, was, it was just horrible. You know, he was not in the influence. Very nice guy. Um, it, was, it was just a damn dirty shame what happened that day. And we always do these things of looking back, okay, what could I have done different? What could we have done better? And me having those other two officers there, whether whether myself and another officer walked away or, you know, just leave one officer there speaking, that's one of the things. But, you know, that was a tough one. And you see it. And when I teach negotiators and talk to them, I tell them, whatever act it is, if somebody has a gun to their head, if they're on top of a building, whatever it is, and it looks like it's imminent, it's going to happen. If you can, if at all, and you can do this, don't watch that final act because that's what's going to be in your head the rest of your days, and that's what can eat you up. And that's what it is. But I have always watched when I've lost folks or been the supervisor of scenes, I've watched them go down and hit the water because I marked the body. But it's there. The folks that I have lost and seen, you see them. Now, if it starts to haunt me too much, I'm going to get some help. I got no problem with that. That's a whole other deal. Kevin, what element of his conversations offered the most help? I focused all hell, I focused everything I had on this 
Faith and prayer are critical in Kevin's life and impact how he does his job. It plays a huge part in it. When I get these calls of a man over the rail or an individual over the rail, first thing I do is say a quick prayer. And on my way down there, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say and do. Uh, you know, and, and it all could change. Maybe they're not even there anymore. Or, you know, things change quick. But uh, it plays in me every single night. I pray. And when I get up in the morning, you know, thank you for allowing me to wake up. I had an old Italian guy once tell me, don't forget to wake up. The guy was hilarious. But uh, religion plays a, a big part in my mind. Now I do not go to church a lot. No, I'll admit that. But that doesn't say that it doesn't mean or anything else that I don't pray and have conversations, you know, um, praying and, and speaking my peace and what I'm looking for. And for my two boys who are 17 and 19, that God keeps them safe and helps them traverse this world in, in a positive manner. So religion plays a big aspect with me. It, it does. And I generally don't discuss it when I'm talking with someone uh, in a suicidal situation, because maybe they're not religious or a different religion than I am. I typically don't bring it up unless they do. But uh, if they do, we can definitely talk about it. I asked Kevin for his greatest regret and a greatest achievement. Well, it's definitely, when I look at my career as far as, as losing folks, I mean, when you lose a life out there, but, but helping people and having someone come over the bridge and then thank you doing that. And of course, I would have to go back to my own family with my boys. Um, it's 17 and 19, and I regret, I'm not going to say I regret, I, well, I regret them being on their own, even though I'm only less than 15 miles from them, not being there all the time for them because I've been divorced a number of years now. Um, I would like to have been there for, for everything. And I do travel a lot now because I do these presentations. So, you know, it's, it's I want to be there, but I can't. I, I want to help spread the word to help folks, but actually... My 19-year-old was suicidal and still going through a very, very difficult time through um, some mental illness right now, even. So me not being, even though I'm 15 minutes away, it's still not being right there for him. You know, that's a that's a tough one. It's trying to think, what's in this kid's mind? I hope he makes it through the night. And that's, I live kind of by my phone and, and texting him and not wanting to, to bother the hell out of him. But you, you worry so much as a parent. This kid gets some help. So, and especially as males, you know, we don't want to ask for help. We can handle everything ourselves. We don't need anybody else's advice or anything like that. Well, and it's especially as a kid these days, it's tough. It really is the social media and everything else. So there's and there's a lot of drugs out there. Uh, you know this. Um, he tells me he goes, Dad, almost every person I know, you know they're into drugs and drinking. I go, Well, man, you got to get some new friends. So it's, it's difficult. So that's always on my mind is I wish I, would, I could be there more for him. But um, just can't a lot of times. But they're also, that's the, the joy of my life, you know, helping folks on the bridge and, and doing that type of work and then trying to raise two boys, setting a good example of having a good work ethic and being kind, you know, and taking time for people. And I hope our families understand that we, we gave up a lot so we could provide for them, but also to help other people.
Kevin's life lesson to us is simply to take time to listen. I have a mantra on mine, and it's listen to understand. So many of us, and I'm including myself, I'm still working on this, but when somebody's talking to us, we're thinking of how we're going to reply automatically. But if we can just open up our minds and our hearts to really try to listen to what someone is telling us, especially when it comes to these high-end conversations where people are, are very stressed out and going through a lot of stuff, but we speak at about 150 words a minute, we can hear about 450 words a minute. So what are we processing when we're only hearing 150 words a minute? We're thinking about what are we doing this weekend? Oh, I got other phone calls. Oh, I got this work to do. But if we put all of our efforts into really delving into what is this individual trying to say, looking at their face, they may be telling me something verbally, but what is their face saying? What is their meaning? I think we can have a lot better um, communications with one another, a lot less fighting going on, a lot better understanding. So just those three words, just listen to understand, it means a lot. Now retired, Kevin Briggs continues his public service mission by speaking on suicide awareness. Go to www.pivotalpoints.com. There is a hyphen between Pivotal and Points. Or contact him directly at Kevin Briggs at pivotalpoints.com. His book, The Guardian of the Golden Gate, Protecting the Line Between Hope and Despair, is available on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Copland is produced for those courageous men and women whose alarm clock goes off every day. They put their feet on the ground, buckle on gear, and kiss their families goodbye with no guarantee they will ever come home. They go willingly, facing predators and violence on behalf of good and innocent people who simply want to live safe, peaceful lives. Thank you for listening. God bless and go be amazing.